Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. As we draw to a close our look in the book of Ephesians, uh, this will be the second part of a series within a series. where we try to do the impossible. We're looking at where Paul talks about the full armor of God. And that's a next to impossibility because you couldn't condense this into a sermon series. One author attempted to write a commentary on these few passages, this, these few verses of Scripture, and wound up writing over 700 pages between two volumes on the subject and felt that it could still go on. I won't do that to you this morning. Instead, I'm going to try to give you a, a taste, a helping of what the Bible says about spiritual warfare, about the fact that we, we are not sent out militarily against worldly powers, but against spiritual powers, against forces that are insidious in their design, are vengeful in their attacks, but forces that we are guaranteed of one thing, and that is that they will fail. The nature of the church is not to be a defensive mechanism. The, the purpose of a church is not to be the fortress where people come and hide behind the walls and cower in fear. It is our job to put the enemy on the defensive, to go charging into, to rescue those that he has kidnapped and chained. It is our job to be the offensive army. And Paul uses the imagery of a soldier's kit to describe how we go about this. Now at the time that he was writing the book of Ephesians, uh, there were Roman centurions chained to Paul. Notice the way that I phrased that. Roman centurions who were chained to Paul while he was under house arrest awaiting his eventual trial and execution uh, in the court of Nero, Caesar of Rome, the guy who's still the same Nero, who burned Rome and then blamed it on who? On the Christians, on us. Paul would meet his end with the tip of an axeman's axe. But before that came, he would write to us such verses as, I am persuaded that neither angels nor powers nor principalities nor anything above that, anything above the earth, uh, on the earth or below the earth, neither height nor depth nor any other thing in all creation will separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. For we are more than conquerors, he writes to us, through him who first loved us. And this is an apostle who's staring at his own death. For death itself could not put him into fear. And as he is writing down this passage, this precious letter to the Ephesian church, chances are good that he had his own disciples there with him, talking to him as he's putting pen to paper listening to him as he's explaining the very words that he's putting down. And these poor Roman centurions are chained to him and can't escape it. These pagans are getting force-fed the gospel from the Apostle Paul himself. 
And we have record of a fact that he converted many of them. They became his disciples as well. What a marvelous testimony. Someone who was so close to anything that would make us tremble in fear. And he didn't face it with fear. He faced it with the certainty of the victory that all he had to do was claim through Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. When you get there in your copy of God's Word, say amen. Finally, the apostle writes, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, not ours. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And this is how he tells us to both defend ourselves and to conquer. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your what? Ground. Not cower in fear. Stand. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. For some of the Lord's people, if you're a few of the Lord's people, keep on praying, say it with me, for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The last days of his life, pray that I meet it with courage, without fear, with boldness. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow our hearts. Heavenly Father, may we learn fully what Paul has to teach us here. May we be bold in the face of adversity. May we be unyielding in the face of the lies. May we spread truth. May we be purveyors of hope. May we rescue those that are caught in the enemy's trap. Help us today, Lord, to with love, with charity, with hope, and with truth, be the light that someone needs to come to you before it is everlastingly too late. Give us strength and give us boldness, courage, that we may stand for you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. As we went over last Sunday, the church is not just a building. The church is her people. 
The church is a, a gathering of believers. It is a place, it means congregation in the rawest sense, but if you take down the word ecclesia, which is the word that is used in the Old Testament, ecclesia, it means to call out, to call away from, to make a new people out of an old one, a remnant of the faithful. This goes on in the writer of Hebrews chapter 10. But we are also a people on mission to know Christ and to make Christ know. Go into all the world, preaching the gospel and proclaiming baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples, teaching them to obey what? All things, everything I have commanded you, with the assurance that I am with you always, that Jesus will never leave the side of his bride. We are a people who is to be called out in contrast of the world. We were countercultural. We are to this day. We stand opposed to what the enemy who thinks he's won the battle, is standing for. But we also stand for what the world can stand against. We stand for peace. We stand for truth. We stand for hope in a world that wants to preach hopelessness. We stand for love in a world that wants to be hateful to itself. We stand for unity when they want to divide. We stand for compassion when they want only to indebt us. We're a people called against the world. Be not conformed to the way of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. As in Paul is insisting upon us here in this passage, we are an army that is not on the defensive at any time, but we are always called to be on the what? The offensive, the rescuers, the avengers. We have already talked about the truth which holds everything together. The breastplate of righteousness which not only protects and defends your heart and your testimony, but also the way that you develop a testimony. The person you are on the inside with your conduct, your conversation, and your character. That's the breastplate of righteousness. Our foot prepared, our feet prepared rather, with the, uh, the shoes of the gospel of peace, which is how the Romans supposedly conquered the world by having shoes that were capable of, of cushioning them so that they could go further, longer, and faster. Today we're going to concentrate on faith Salvation, the Word of God, and the supply line of the Christian, which is prayer. The faith which not only protects the self, but others. Salvation which protects us in the battlefield of the mind. The Word of God which presses the attack. And prayer, of course, which engages our supply line. You have not because you ask not. So here we are for this Sunday. Let's talk about the shield of faith. It's not hard to imagine that as Paul is writing this letter, he's looking at the centurions on either side of him as God is giving him inspiration and he's seeing the belt that holds everything together, the breastplate, and commenting on the way that they are put together and that they do what they do. Because again, we're talking about an army with one purpose and that was to conquer. These are Roman shields that's on your screen right now. I want you to notice the fact that they are not just a defensive appliance. They have pummels attached to them, which are also used offensively. The writer of Hebrews says this about how faith is applied in a similar manner. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. They lived their faith out for the just, the justified shall live not by works, but by what? 
faith. This is how they lived it out. This sheltered their hearts. This protected them from the wills of the, the whims of the enemy. And this also protected those around them. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I want you to notice that. The cross was not a travesty. The cross was not a tragedy. It was an achievement. Christ was in control of every motion that took him from the upper room to the cross. When Judas was prepared to go out and seek out the silver, it was Jesus who leaned over to him and said, what you must do, what? Do quickly. When the armed centurions from the temple came up to capture him, it is Jesus that went to them and said, who seekest thou? Jesus was in control of everything. Why? So that when he faced the cross, he did so as a willing sacrifice for you. If you want to think about how much God loves you, I challenge you to think about how much pain your Savior endured for the sake of your soul on the cross. Of all of the things that he could have endured, of all of the deaths that he could have engaged in, he went through that willingly for you. Again, in control of everything that happened, for God is always sovereign. But let's continue on. For joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose what? Heart, the arrows of doubt, the arrows of fear, the arrows of frustration, the arrows of grief, all of those flaming arrows that the enemy sends over the wall at us. The shield of faith harbors them, extinguishes them, and protects you and the family of God with them. Because as we see, this is how Rome conquered their own known world. Not with single soldiers, but with entire battalions and legions, all of them with their shields locked together, protecting not only themselves, but each other. An, a tank of living people with their shields mounted together. No force on earth was able to defend against their own shield wall, their own phalanx. This is the image that Paul is producing on how we are to act. That your faith the degree that you hold on to your faith, that you act out of faith, that you endure things through your faith, that is not only something that extinguishes the arrows and protects you when it is raised, but it protects your friends as well. And there's one more, one more usefulness that he alludes to. Going on, let us hold unswaveringly to the hope we profess. For he promised us is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards good love and good, on love and good deeds. 
I want you to underline this in your copy of God's Word or in the flyleaf of your Bible, write down this reference if you have not already. Hebrews 10.25, this is a commandment of God penned by the writer of this book, not giving up meeting together as some are, having, uh, some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, building one another up, teaching one another. And all the more so as you see the day approaching, every day that goes by, where the church of God gets closer to the day where we are called home, every day that we go one step further to the day of the Lord is, is, is an incitement, is a command to meet together, to teach one another, to encourage one another, to love one another. So the shield that Paul is talking about, it's not only de defensive, it's also offensive. It protects from ranged attacks like flaming arrows like he's talking about, but it also protects you from immediate threats. And it's used to bash, to, sun, to stun, to halt people in their tracks. It unifies the army and it protects your brother soldiers, your, in, in our case, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it also has a very psychological meaning. It is psychological warfare as well. Because when an enemy comes across the horizon and they see this, even if they have a numerical advantage, what goes through their mind? And I'll tell you something, church. When the enemy or the forces of the enemy see you stand, see you take a stand, see the church in revival, see and hear them raising the praise and honor and glory of God, See them boldly defending their faith, knowing Christ, making Christ known, knowing the words of Scripture that reinforces their faith. They tremble in fear, as they well should. Anytime the enemy tries to remind you of your past, remind him of his future. Because he knows. Even the demons know, and they tremble. Your victory is already won for you. Remind the enemy, and he will flee. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for the Spirit of God, the Spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and has called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of His own purpose and His grace, this grace that was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. Underline this. Our Savior has destroyed death brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Your Savior has assured you through faith of what is to come. Who can separate us from the love of God? No human agency can. Not even death itself. Not even our own stupidity 
For as the Bible teaches us, we are confident of this one thing, that He who has begun a good work in you, He will draw it to completion. The faith that we possess protects everything that we are, and if we rely on it, protects also those around us. The helmet of salvation protects the battlefield of the mind. This is where the assurance of your salvation comes into play. We are not like those who think that they are saved one second and lost the next. We are not like those who believe that our Lord does not delight in the making and keeping of the promises that He makes to His children. For Jesus Himself often boasts, Of my sheep I have not lost one. For if anyone cometh unto me, for all that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And if anyone comes to me, I will in no way cast out. This is the helmet of salvation which protects the battlefield of the mind. A regular helmet in this point in time was made out of either pig iron or bronze. Heavy duty stuff. One of the type of things that you almost had to have a neck brace on in order to hold up. In fact, that was one of the common complaints about the centurions because they not only had the regular helmet, but they had the, their badge of office on top of it as well, adding to the weight. It protects the most vital area of the human body, which is, of course, the what? The mind, the head, the brain. It's made of defensive material, very dense material, so it can withstand direct attacks, very well cushioned. It prevents shock as well as blows. And it also signified rank, meaning that when you looked at a centurion, you knew what grade, what rank this person was. You knew that this person was a person, not just a, a cog in the machine, but this was a person of value. 1 Thessalonians 5, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may what? Live together with Him, the promise of God. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are already doing. Fellowship team, thank you so much for preserving the integrity of our family. Encourage one another and build each other up, just as you are already doing. So the helmet of salvation that Paul's talking to us about protects the battlefield of the mind. It defends us against the blindness that comes from doubt, the paralysis that comes from shame, the spread of fear which can infect the whole army if you let it, or the whole church if you let it, the insubordination of pride. One thing kills an army faster than anything else. It's when they fall away from each other, not caring about each other. But it also reminds the Christian, and talking about the helmet of salvation, of their worth before God. Because the love of God has already saved you. It has saved you from your past sins. It is saving you right now, preserving you. And when the day comes when you stand before the Lord, when you have the opportunities to receive your crowns, to receive your rewards. And that's one of the reasons that I am preaching these services, that I am going out of my way to do what I do on Wednesday night to make sure that every opportunity that presents itself so that you can win a new crown when that day comes and when you come before Christ. People, salvation isn't the end. It is not enough. Because when you come before your Lord, 
You will be at the Bema seat, you will be at the mercy seat, and your entire life will be presented to him as one living sacrifice of praise, and it will enter the altar of flame. Some of it will be wood, hay, and stubble, as the Bible teaches us. Stuff that we do for ourselves out of pride. Stuff that we do to somebody else to try to lock them into something. Other sins that have come our way or things that we have with the wrong intentionality. But I want to ensure for those who are my disciples and those who are your disciples later on after us that when they present the jewels of their life before a living God, that's all that remains is the treasure. That you win the crown of righteousness, that you win the crown imperishable, that you win the crown of integrity and of service, that you do not go away from that empty-handed, but when you enter the kingdom of God, you throw before the seat of your Savior a sacrifice worthy of praise, and you can hear without a shadow of a doubt His voice say unto you, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Win the crowns, do not give up running the race but do so with integrity and perseverance, putting on the full armor of God and employing it. Remembering always that you are, in the case of the helmet of salvation, not just beloved by the king, but you are a child of the king. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, then who can be against us? That's your armor against fear. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things that should eradicate the, the doubt that can come to the battlefield of your mind as well? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? For it is God himself who justifies. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Your shame has been wiped clean. Your sin is gone. Conviction doesn't paralyze us. It compels us to action. But anything that you have in your past to be ashamed of, God himself has split from you as far as the east is from the west. All shame is gone. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. For Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life. He is at the right hand of the Father and is also interceding for us. That should protect you from everything because... The voice of our Savior Himself is seated at the right hand of the very throne of God, praying constantly for you, personally. Any challenge that you're going through, any problem that you face in this life, know this, that your Savior is constantly praying, whispering in the ear of Almighty God on your behalf. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all the day long and are considered sheep for the slaughter? As I say, no! In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who first loved us. Through Him there is no fear. Through Him the isolation of pride is removed because we know that we are fully reliant upon Him for everything. Through Him, we are assured of this, that nothing can separate us from Him, but we together are more than conquerors in His name. Which gets us to the only truly offensive or offensively designed part of the Roman kit the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. 
The Holy Spirit of God that sparks your faith in tandem with the Word of God, meaning the Gospel and meaning the Word that He has given us that is, that is fully furnishing us, even as we speak, work in tandem to spark what becomes the salvation experience in each and every one of us. Swords are strong enough to hold an edge, but they're also flexible enough to maintain their shape so that when they hit against something, they don't snap like a piece of iron wood by itself. They are, in Rome's case, they are short range for dealing with immediate threats, but they're used in conjunction with the shield to defend against long range attacks and to march over anything that threatens the army. They are defensive as well as offenses because they deflect attacks and they pierce the enemy. Your Bible is the most precious physical object you possess. People over our years have died to ensure that a copy of it is capable of being in your hands. How many saints of old gave their lives or were burned at the stake so that you could have your own personal copy of the Word of God? It is precious. Do we always treat it like that? If not, we should be. The Word of God, the writer of Hebrew tells us, is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In fact, everyone who wants to live a, a godly life in Christ Jesus, you need to know this, will be persecuted. How do we defend in times of persecution? What do we use to fend off attacks? What do we use to press the advantage? While evildoers and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue on what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know that those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have been known, how you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Have your sword ready. Know what it's capable of doing. Use it. Is it strong? Absolutely. It's infallible and inerrant. Is it flexible? Absolutely, because it's inexhaustible. No matter how many times you read the Word of God, you'll always find something new. You'll always find something different. Even when you don't expect to, there's something in there that the Holy Spirit will catch your attention with, will speak to you, and will be very relevant to you at that point in time. The Word of God is infallible, inerrant, always truthful, inexhaustible, and it's also immediately on hand for you. It provides wisdom through the daily challenges that we face, the moral questions that are constantly around us. It convicts us of sin and it compels us to action. That's the difference between shame and conviction. Shame paralyzes, conviction propels. It reveals who God is to us as well as the way that His kingdom works to us and inspires repentance in others. We don't fight others to bring them down. We fight others to bring them in. Every person that you come across, if you are properly armed and properly ready, every person you come across is a potential brother or sister in Christ. Do you know that? Every person that you see, no matter what they've been through, no matter what life has dealt them, no matter how they appear, how they talk, 
no matter what they might believe at the time, if you're equipped with the Word of God, if you're equipped with the breastplate of righteousness, which is your testimony, if you have the shield of faith ready, if it's all put together through the, breast, through the belt of faith, and if you're walking with the preparation of the gospel on hand, then that person, no matter their past or their present, is still a person made in the image of God, a person of eternal significance and divine worth to Him, a potential brother or sister in the family of God. Finally, I'll draw to a close in talking about the supply of prayer. One of the things that Napoleon Bonaparte used to say quite frequently is that an army marches on his stomach, meaning that if you don't have your supply lines ready, if you don't have the logistics worked out, you cannot do any of the work of an army. So how does the Christian get supplied? Do not be anxious for anything. In every situation, by what? Prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And be assured of this, verse 7, write this down as well, this reference. Philippians 4, verse 7, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Prayer is powerful. The prayer of a righteous man, what? Availeth much. You have not because you ask not. Prayer is a two-way place of communication. It's, where, it's a divine appointment which we should take advantage of daily because the Bible tells us we have the ability to go boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy in our hour of need when we can do that whenever we want to. So I'll ask you and I'll challenge you with this as we go into this, uh, this time where we have made a commitment as a congregation to study the Bible and to read the Bible through in a year. Do you have that quiet time, that special appointment with God where you can go into your prayer closet, where you can close the door, where you can delve into God's Word and understand it, where you can listen to it, and where you can lift your heart to Him in prayer, knowing that He is not blind or deaf to you when you lift your voice to Him, knowing that as the Bible tells us, we can go up to Him and say, Abba, Father, which means, Daddy, I love you. Knowing that He hears His children when they call. In this passage in 2 Kings, The nation is being attacked. The people of God are frightened. They see the forest, but they don't see the trees. They see the problem, but they've forgotten about God because all they can fixate on is the problem. And the prophet here has to tell them what's going on. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. They see the problem, and that's all they can fixate on. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. From a human eyes, they see the vast army. With human eyes, they see the tiny force of their own. With human eyes, they see swords, shields, and smoke coming up from cities that are already destroyed. They don't see through eternal eyes. They don't see through faith. They haven't got the helmet of salvation on knowing from where their help comes from. But Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, 
so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He who is within you is by far greater than he who is within the world. No matter what may be before you, no matter what problems you may think that you're facing, no matter what this earth, this flesh, or the enemy himself puts your way, you have been given the full armor of God. You have the indwelling presence and assurance of the Holy Spirit of God. You have everything that you need, including the capability of gaining strength, both in the presence of the family of God as we are, and going on your knees in prayer, knowing that He who is within you, who hears you when you call, is by far greater than anything this world can throw at you. For the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering you on to this day are still present, are still cheering, and their legacy has never left your side. Put on the full armor of God. And in the hour of weakness, put on His strength, and in His strength, Stand. And all God's people said, Amen. So, Heavenly Father, as the service of the Word draws to its conclusion this morning, I ask that it has found root in the hearts of those in front of me. And that no matter what the challenge is that they may face alone, they do not face it alone. No matter what the challenge that this world brings to us, that we might see. I ask that you would open the eyes of my brothers and sisters in Christ so that they may see you and they might fully operate in your strength, that they may pull on your armor, that they may be assured that, Lord, you are by far greater than any problem that we face. So give us strength now. Lord, if there are any within the sound of my voice that have yet to come to know you in a free pardon of sin, may your word find a place in their heart that they might embrace your love to be Savior as well as Lord. May they put on your salvation this day. Bring them forward as we sing. Lord, if there are any who have yet to find a, a home where they can be embraced, a family where they can be loved, Lord, a place where they can serve and to be served, a place where they can be loved by you and by your people, if there is any that you would call to be a part of this family, Lord, may this be the day that they walk that aisle and receive the right hand of fellowship in the embrace of their Heavenly Father. And if there are any that just need a special time with you in prayer for a burden that they've been carrying for so long, just a touch of the Master's hand, let this be the day that they find that assurance and they know the peace and the joy of your love. Open this time of invitation now. Use it. And as we dedicate ourselves into your hands without reservation, use it, dear Lord. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person. To contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.